and welcome to the Real Pill Podcast. My name is Kelsey Loizel. I just want to welcome you to whatever part of the day it is for you in your daily existential crisis routine. And with me, <laughs> Go on. With me today is my parsimonious and where is it? Proficuous mm. co-host. Mark Salcedo. Parsis, par, what's it? How do you say it again? Parsimonious. Parsimonious. I like celebrating two things at the same time. No. Okay, what is it? Frugal. Okay. How Because you, you were saying how you didn't want to spend $6 for... That's what frugal means. I always get the definition wrong. Frugal means like you don't want to spend money, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And right. I, like frugal means that you know how to buy good things. Oh, uh, okay. While saving money. Gotcha. Okay. And what's the other word? Um, it, the other word is proficuous. What does proficuous mean? Profitable, advantageous, or useful. I am profitable. I am useful. I am a gigolo. <laughs> I don't know why I that's include Mark's, that. That's Mark's existential crisis for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Women love me, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially with your hair right now. Oh, God. I need a haircut so bad. I thought I thought it was so funny that I've been complaining for the past month that I'm losing my hair and I need a I was debating about shaving my head and you're like no 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 like buy the buy products you know to regrow your hair and here we are with this, this I didn't little, say no I said it, it would probably look good on you I know but you but you you went the extra mile and you were like well here let me get you some stuff you know if you're if you're really worried about losing your hair, mm-hmm. and I was thankful for that, and I thought, okay, let me take this, this stuff, and then now you know we're on a lockdown. I can't get a fucking haircut, and it's just going bonkers now. Like my hair is gone bonkers. And you wouldn't get a pair of hair clippers. No, because I'm using like one time. No, you're not. You're gonna use it every time. <sighs> but that's my that's my parsimonious side, the frugal side. Parsimonious. Yeah, that frugal, right? That's the mm-hmm. frugal side. Okay, that's my frugal side. I don't want to spend money. But you're just going to complain to everybody until they want to kill themselves. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, let's talk about our social media. It's really important. Mm-hmm. What is social media? Are we really social? Is this the media? What kind of media over here? I think that's, um, what's that called? Idi- it's an idiom. Idiom. What's no, that not mean? idiom. What's that word? Oxymoron. There you go. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Social media. Yeah, gotcha. Because it's not social. Well, we are. But I mean, it is social, but it's not. It's the only way we can communicate it as we are hunkering down in our, our homes. Yeah. Yes. We've been social distancing for years. Fun stuff. <laughs> Where can people find us, Kelsey? <laughs> On Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, and it's at The Real Appeal with two E's in real. And The Real Appeal at gmail.com. I almost mm. said on Facebook and Twitter and The Real Appeal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have a social media uh, platform called The Real Appeal. People have signed up. Two people. <laughs> <laughs> Their names are coincidentally Kelsey and Mark. Yes. Um, if you would like to help us out, you can review us on iTunes. That would help us get a little more notoriety so more people can view it's like a vicious cycle yes you know the more people review the more people get tortured by our show absolutely and then it'll make you happy because you know you helped hurt someone else <laughs> it's a fuck okay <laughs> Oof. <laughs> <Just> dark. 
And I'm laughing. Yeah, I know. It's dark. <laughs> um, our segments for this week, we've got variety time. Everyone gets a streaming service. You know, mm-hmm. like Oprah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what I thought of when I came up with that title. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna call it you get a streaming service, and you get a streaming service, and you get a streaming service. Everybody gets a streaming Everybody. service. Yeah. Uh <laughs> You know, I'm gonna translate that. That's rebooting Westworld. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then our geriatric our geriatric cinematic is 1988. Wow, Kelsey's having a laugh of it. 1987's Robocop. <laughs> oh, What's God. our topic? Uh, hello, Jesus. Is that you? <laughs> That's racist. <laughs> what? How? Explain yourself, woman. It's not. No. Because I'm white. <laughs> And a woman. I know. That's racist. It's, it's really not. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into our variety time. So, Mark, streaming yes. service stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, everybody's at home. Um, Theaters are pretty much closed down, um, but this is during the time of the year where we start getting to film festivals. A lot of them, actually. <clears throat> uh, South by Southwest, uh, Cannes Film Festival. And um, blockbusters would start next week, too, by the way. Black Summer Blockbusters? Yeah, it starts in May. Oh, that's... Damn! I know, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but it just popped into my head. Yeah. Uh, okay, so our topic is pretty much discussing... Um, these certain festivals that are actually picking up um, streaming services now, or who jumped on the streaming service bandwagon. Uh, for example, uh, the AFI Institute, or sorry, the American Film Institute announced that um, through their AFI movie club, they're going to have uh, essentially like, what's it called? Like streaming communities kind of thing going on. Um, Spielberg came out and said that they're going to be like selected certain films. There's a lot of celebrities that have uh, kind of announced this. Um, I don't remember who did the last <clears throat> one, um, but at the time of this, this story came out, uh, he, he was going to introduce Wizard of Oz. Which you know what? I've never seen Wizard of Oz, like ever. You can barely say it. <laughs> Wizard of Oz. It's not an easy thing to say. It's the width of the vault. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so <laughs> we got a, there was a quote on the AFI website. <laughs> uh, AFI's goal is to live in a world of, of art above anxiety. AFI president and CEO, Bob Gazzle, <laughs> that's how he said, it's like saying it, said in a press conference, we're honored to have Steven Spielberg and great storytellers of our time lead the way. It's a different director every month, every time they show the... Yeah, it's a director or it's like a it's a celebrity, like a movie star. Oh, okay. Um, I, the it's, names are skipping me. Focus Features is doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. What what was up with that? You told me about that. It was um, Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do it every Monday a lot. And this past Monday, yesterday, because mm-hmm. today's Tuesday that we're recording. Yeah. Um, and it was um, it was Wes a, Anderson. He was gonna do. It was um, a Q and A, and it was I believe it was Moonrise Kingdom. Was it that? Yeah, I think he was doing a Q and A for Mu- Moonrise Kingdom, and um, 
you could stream it on like the focus feature website mm-hmm. um, or whatever platform they were using and it was like a community thing people can like comment it and stuff like that i actually got involved in one of these not too long ago and it was for glenn danzing's like first directo de- debut which is called like veretico or some shit like that some stupid ass anthology mm-hmm. and it was um it was headed up by a writer from um uh birth movies death and uh it was like a twitter thread and he we see everybody like around the world like synchronized their watches to watch it the best play at the exact same time mm-hmm. and people were just like tweeting that shit like comment it was like so fucking hilarious good time uh and who else jumped on it um the tribeca film festival um have decided to jump with us as well robin nero who's the founder of this as they are releasing a series of films uh from april 15th to april 26th that will be seen digitally um it's let me see what else she said, Tribeca will digitally present project as part of a several programs, including the Tribeca of Immersive Cinema 360, which includes 14 virtual reality films, uh, NOW creators, market industry, Extranet, Extranet, Res- thank you, Extranet, Resource Hub, Jury and Art Award, and the Tribeca X program. So there are going to be some films uh, from the Tribeca Film Festival as well. And... Uh, South by Southwest is doing this as well, too. Yeah, with Amazon Prime. I think that's totally awesome. I have always wanted to go to South by Southwest. Um, it's going to happen over like a 10-day period. Mm-hmm. And from what I... It's free to all audiences. And uh, from what I read, it was going to be people who... Uh, the films were going to be from filmmakers who... Um, wanted to participate in the program. Mm-hmm. Which, you know... It, it, that. That really depends on the filmmaker if they wanted to get streamed. Um, cool thing is, though, you can watch it without being on a- an Amazon Prime member uh, as long as you have an Amazon account. Okay. And that's about it. I think that's um, cool. That, that one I'm really looking forward to. I'm interested in Kino Marquee because I keep getting the Kino Lorber um, emails from, like, hmm. You know, they're they're like kind of contacting you about like this video, like this movie or this thing that's going oh, on like or whatever. Oh, like screeners and stuff. Yeah, like and that. I'm like, I have no idea who that is. And then I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay, well, Kino Marquis, and it's like, that's Kino Lorber's thing. Mm. So it makes me wonder, like, oh, maybe they actually are like legit. Yeah. Yeah. What what what, what is what's Kino doing? <clears throat> Uh, their uh, Kino Marquee Virtual Art House program, they're expanding to 150 cinemas with Alamo Draft House in Lemley, which is good because Lemley, I thought I heard you told me one time that they were starting to get into some trouble or they were going to get bought by somebody or something. Yeah, supposedly, um, is it Lemley? I think it's like, isn't it called Lemel's? No, it's Lemley. Oh, okay. So the Lemley Theaters, it's... I don't, I don't know if they have theaters across the country. It's kind of like a SoCal staple. They mm-hmm. have uh, like out, one out in Claremont, Pasadena, LA. I, I love those things because they play like a lot of independent films. Um, and there was news that supposedly they were going to file for Chapter 11, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but to keep their business running, they've act, they have this theater alone has started a streaming service to show um, certain art house films. This is like super duper art house stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Animal Draft House is getting into it, which Animal Draft House is really great as well. They 
their levels of film, their types of film are very curated to like a certain genre crowd. Like you will see something ridiculous, like Toxic Avenger Night or some shit like that, like some bad eighties film, yeah, or whatever. Um, you want to go a little bit further into what's uh, Kino doing, Kelsey? Yeah, um, you can pay twelve dollars, and Kino Marquee is streaming last year's Cannes Grand Jury Prize winner Baccarat. Um, and it's it's on Art House's regional cinema websites. Um, if you pay to watch it. Um, like on the Lemley site. Then the profits are split between the theater and Kino Lorber. Um, the Kino Marquee was launched to um, enable movie audiences to keep supporting their theaters, um, to still pay to view movies digitally uh, while everything is shut down. I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, there's a lot of other theaters that are trying to find ways to keep afloat. Mm-hmm. Um this I I think it tells you um the the article says that um this article which is called uh Kino Marquee Virtual Art House Program expands to 150 cinemas with Emma Trafalse and Lamley's in streaming cans a winner. <laughs> that that's a long ass headline. <laughs> um, Somebody doesn't know their SEO. <laughs> really? And um yeah, so they're they're showing uh last year Cannes uh, Grand Jury Prize winner um I think we might be seeing more stuff from Cannes because what I've read is that France is still going to keep large gatherings down to a minimum. Mm-hmm. And supposedly that, that means they're pushing Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival back further. Yeah. So that might get Cannes. And Cannes Film Festival is like the high, like marquee high prize of like art films and stuff like that. Right. You know, if you uh, get a bit, if you get a good film in there, like you're good, you're solid. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Um, and then also, if you know, with each rental of Baccarat, um, that lasts five days, then there's a virtual Q&A uh, with filmmakers and cast uh, hosted by BAM. Um, what's BAM? Do you know? I've never heard of BAM. Um, I've heard of BAM, BAM. <laughs> it'll be available for everyone to watch Wednesday, April 1st, which passed already. So I think this is really cool. I really, um, I really like what they're what the Hollywood industry is trying to do to stay afloat. Um, it's not even just um, organizations like this. It's also um, like certain filmmakers and directors like how Kelsey had mentioned Wes Anderson was doing one for Focus Feature. Um, mm-hmm. Watiti did one on his on his Instagram, on a live Instagram. And uh, it was just him viewing um, Thor Ragnarok. Oh yeah, and he was just like reading, reading the comments and everything, and then like cracking jokes. Um, he was actually able to drop some news on Thor Ragnarok on, on the next Thor, uh, Thor Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. It was like some concept art. Um, from my understanding, I didn't watch it. From what I read, Mark Ruffalo showed up at his place, and so did uh, Tessa Thompson. Speaking of, I'm sorry, mm. you can continue in a second. But did you see um, what they? Released a picture from Dune. Oh, you talking about the uh, the cast of Dune? Yeah. Um, Pedro s- Pascal. No, it wasn't Pedro Pascal. No, no the it, one who plays in Star Wars. Oscar, like, yeah, that guy. Totally, totally similar. Yeah, Oscar <laughs> I Yo, Oscar Isaac looks fucking badass. He does. He looks. Oh man, that dude. Maybe I can grow my hair out like him. He's got nice hair. And then bleach it white. No, my level of stress will make it great on its own. Okay. <laughs> Did you see the one with, uh, I think Zendaya was in it? 
I didn't see that one. That one looks kind of cool. She has like um, I know I know you never seen Dune, but like in a certain light, they have like these like neon blue eyes, and she mm-hmm. looks pretty cool, rocking that. But they've they've released um, pictures, um, or the productions released pictures of the film, and I I'm really looking forward to that film. Yeah, I can't wait to watch that. Um, so where was I at? Oh yeah, so Taco Taco Titi did that. Like you I said, said Tessa Thompson showed up. Yeah, Tessa Thompson showed up. I watched a little bit of the the IG live um, streaming, and it was it's Taco Titi. They do cracks jokes all the time, and a lot of people were asking like, "What's going to be in Love and Thunder?" Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was reading it. And he goes, "Oh, wow, you guys don't want to know anything about this movie, do you?" <laughs> all right. No, no, yeah, kind of like like he wouldn't even like have a reference. Uh, he wouldn't even say the reference to his answer. Yeah, at all. But that that's him. He just jokes around a lot. Yeah. Um. So are you? I'm I'm really curious about the Kino one. I'm actually like I said, I'm really looking forward to the South by Southwest one. Yeah. I can't look for. I can't wait till that one pops up. I am curious about the Kino one. I want to see what Animal Draft House is going to have. And um, I what, have a uh, hard time with cans. I don't mm-hmm. know why, but I... Th- I you need when a I, can opener. <laughs> I have a hard time with cans, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that you joke. Mm. <laughs> yeah, go on. I have a hard time with like movies from there. I haven't seen any, but I have this weird preconceived idea mm-hmm. that all every single movie is going to make me cry or something, and I don't want to watch them. You've seen a few movies from the Cannes Film Festival. Which one? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Joker. <laughs> All right, we're done with the podcast forever. Hey, hey, Parasite. Mm. <laughs> You're like, mm, okay, all right. <laughs> I mean, they don't, they don't like, they don't just show films from there. They Hollywood brings their films over, and it helps build like hype. Yeah, you know, this prestigious film was at the Cannes Film Festival. We paid a lot of money for people to watch it, but this prestigious film was there. <laughs> so you have seen some Cannes films. Yeah, yeah, you know. Because I had a can opener. <laughs> yes. That's funny. <laughs> um, do you think this might expand further out, like other festivals are going to join in on this? I think other festivals will. Mm. I also think that it's something that's not going to quite go away. Even when things are open back up and they have their festivals. Yeah. I think they might actually open it up to more people if they pay top dollar for to stream thing. it. Yeah, that's true. I would like that. I would honestly like that. Oh, I would be so stoked if they did, um, if they did a uh, streaming service for the uh, Sundance Film Festival. That would be great. That'd be all. And the the funny, it was not funny. The sad thing is about Sundance Film Festival is that sometimes they will get a movie premiered there, and it gets rave reviewed. It is amazing, and it does not see the light of day because they can't get distribution for it. I hate that. You know that we that took so long for Banana Split. Yeah, we we saw this really really great uh, coming of age story featuring two uh, female leads, and this was before Booksmart came out. Yeah, and it came out maybe like two years before Booksmart, mm-hmm. and Kelsey saw well, Kelsey and I saw it during the LA Film Festival, and we absolutely loved it. Still has not seen the light of day. Yeah, what was, I, the, what was the reason for that? We looked, did we find out what was the reason? They had issues because they were, um, one of the people was wearing like a Simpson shirt or something and they didn't have the rights. Yeah. So they had to spend time then editing it out. Oh, wow. Okay. 
Yeah. I thought they just like paid off like the creators or something like that. No. Damn. So they edited that shit out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like the horror movie Banana Split that came out like last year. Some stupid ass horror movie. No, this one's called. They might even change the title. So there won't be any any confusion. It's stupid, though. I wish they would just keep it. Yeah. Because no one knows remembers about that other movie anyway. Yeah. But when this movie, it's supposed to be coming out. Banana Split is supposed to be coming out. Um, but a lot of people are going to like compare it to Booksmart, which we haven't seen. We heard it's great. But a lot of people are going to be are compared to it a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> Anything else you want to add to this super hot, sexy topic? No. No. All right, we're done with this. We're done with this, and we're going to do our rebooting Westworld. Bring yourself back online. This week's episode is called Genre, and it is directed by Anna Forster. Um, you know who it stars, so I'm not going to go through all of that. All the peoples. Everybody. Everyone, every day. Your mother was there. My cat was there. Leia's, uh, not Leia, Leia. Kelsey's uh, daughters were there. Everybody. 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 Um, all right, so this was, this was kind of an interesting episode. Um, there's a lot of backstory. Sometimes it slows it down a little bit too much when they do that. Mm-hmm. And the story is so big, and I feel like they're cramming so much into it. Mm. And it's not sucking at all, but it's definitely like, okay, like you have to not be playing with your phone. Mm-hmm. You have to not be getting distracted with anything like stopping and starting it or whatever. Yeah. You really got to sit there and watch it so you can digest it. Mm. Um, because they do so much backstory, but it was very interesting this time. Yeah, so this episode um, follows it. It follows uh, Dolores and Caleb and everything, and how um, she's on her mission to free everybody. Um, but in between the episode is kind of um, a backstory of uh, Vincent Cassell's character uh, Serac, and we get more of his motivation of why he's doing it, which I really liked um we got an idea that he's one of those guys who you know says i'm not the savior of the world but i'm trying to save the world Mm -hmm. but he starts like it seems like he's drinking his own kool-aid because he's just as evil as anybody who as like a evil i don't know someone who owns like a weather dominator that's a gi joe reference uh (laughs) kelsey's like i didn't watch that i mean i did but Mm. guess what i'm gonna say next what? I don't remember it. G.I. Joe. You know what? I remember playing with the little parachute men flying off the stairs. Oh, what character was that? Hmm. Were they like? They're G.I. Joe's in the little parachutes. Some of the, those are <laughs> some of the green people? Yeah. Those are army men. Oh yeah, but we used to tie little G.I. Joe people to them. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I'll let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so in this episode, um, oh. Dolores has enacted her plan to essentially free everybody from the clutches of insight. Like everybody, not just robot people. Yeah. Um, Surik is, it's funny because like they, they really built up Surik to be this guy who was like three steps ahead of Dolores. Mm-hmm. But I have a sense that like this season, like they've said it, but they haven't really given, given any of that idea. 
because it seems like he's constantly trying to catch up to Dolores. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dolores does this plan where she's going to release all the data that Insight has on everybody because that's her idea to free everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see, like I said, in between the this story, we see Surik how he created him and his brother. We we actually see his we actually meet his brother, um, whose name is escaped me right now. Um, and um, last episode, uh, last week's episode showed that uh, him and his brother had uh, watched Paris burn in a nuclear explosion. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was, it was. They didn't give an idea that it was like hit by an A bomb or anything like that, but you had or an a H bomb or anything. Yeah, but it was a mushroom cloud. Um, and him and his brother, they want to save the world. So this is this is where they get the idea of Robohim. 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 Um, and we finally see what happened to Liam Dempsey Sr. Junior had said that Sarah killed him. And we find out how he did it. And I thought that was really stupid. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, later in the episode, um, at one point, Sarah has to fake a plane crash. Um, and when Liam Dempsey like, walks up to like this wreckage, he's like, that's my jet. And he goes, Sarah tells him, well, yeah, I mean, you died in it. And then he just, like, grabs him and, like, bashes his head on a wing. Uh-huh. And he's dead. And I'm like, I think CSI would crack that case really quick. Like, this guy did not die in a plane crash. Yeah. Someone bashed his head in. Um, but I did like how uh, Surak, his his brother, was, um, had, like, slowly start losing his mind. Yeah, because he said something about him being one of the... Um, like the, uh, uh, like the Alamany... Anomaly? Anomalies, thank you, yes. Yeah, but no, he was calling them something else with a C. Yeah, he was, I thought he was calling them with an O, like outlier or something like that. Maybe, he did use that word once. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, there were people that existed that didn't fit in with the rest of the world. Yeah. And, it, and also did not fit into their own space either. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really interesting. So what I didn't understand, those people ended up in like a facility, right? He like gathered mm. them up. Yeah. Was that supposed to be like a mental facility or was it supposed to be like, was he giving them drugs to make them think they were somewhere? No. What? Because um, they had small little glass rooms. Yeah. Well, they what what it was is that um, Surak, um, like what, with the robot... The machine. I'm gonna call it the machine now. We'll Fuck call it. Ra-ho-bo-um. Okay, so the machine. <laughs> so the machine kept having these um, inconsistencies in its data, like trying to like fix the world, right? And mm-hmm. these inconsistencies were people who would never follow the system, would never follow the simulation mm-hmm. that the Robohim. Um, I know I said it wrong again. You said it pretty close that oh, time. Okay, well, that the machine calculated for them. So. This part was this part I found it, and it was really fucked up. That if it became a constant problem, the machine would send people into like war zones or in situations where they would kill themselves or die. Mm-hmm. Which is why we get Caleb, who Dolores reveals that like, yeah, the machine was gonna like, the machine knew you were gonna kill yourself, so you were like, essentially like a waste of space. It's not and, only that it thought you were gonna kill itself yourself, but like. Like, through, like It was of, making you get to that point. Yeah, because like series of like psychological data and all this kind of stuff that it had on people. Um, but what Surik was doing was 
he found a different route, route, sorry, route for them. He was he thought, well, instead of putting them in a war zone, let's put them to some purpose. So let's do experiments on them. Mm-hmm. And he put his brother there because his brother had like lost his mind during the uh, because of the radiation exposure from the bomb. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool. But but he also said that the radiation exposure mm-hmm. was not the only reason why he was going mad. He looked into the machine and he shouldn't have used it for his own. Yes. Oh, his own gain, yeah. But it, the what he was the the amount of intelligence it took for him to create something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was already on that path himself without uh, that radiation. Yeah, it was like it's like the sense of how some people like they are so intelligent that they start losing their grip on reality because it comes like like an obsession mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, and that's what was happening to his brother. But he, even Sirik was kind of following that route too, because at one point Sirik tells uh, Liam Dinsey Senior, who was that was his business partner, and Liam Dinsey Senior saw this as like a money making opportunity. This is how he can like uh, twist the stock market to his favor. And so Sirik was like, "Yeah, my brother wanted to kill you, but I put him here because we can't kill you." Well, he said we can't kill you, but you know, I put him over here to essentially protect you. And then Sarah turned around with his like, but I mean, I'm going to kill you because you're you're stifling what this machine can do. Yeah. And then he kills him. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's why we got that. Cool. All right. <laughs> you bad, know, you, my brother could kill you, but I can. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to make this really stupid ass crime scene or <laughs> this plane crash to say you died there. But you but honestly, we really drove to that location. It like it didn't make no that part. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. Because there's the tire tracks. Then he drug the body. Yeah, right? Like, okay. Yeah, and it's the future. So you got to think, you know, technology is going to at least kind of be more advanced in the forensics yeah, forensics exactly. department. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then Surak, um, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of get into what Surak's, that his ending plot for this episode went to. Um, but we're going to get into how Dolores essentially released all the data, which um, I'm glad they did that this episode. Um, so last week, Dolores, Caleb, um, had gotten their hands on Liam Dempsey Jr. And taken, took all his, taken, sorry, took all his money away and all this kind of stuff. And, um, she was able to convince Jr. that, uh, Sirak is going to kill him because he's essentially no, no value whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And Dolores had him kind of like give him this, his key data so he can, so she can get inside the system. Right. Which that part kind of confused me because I thought he didn't have that much level whatsoever. He doesn't, but then they said it's all we have to work with right now. Yeah, and she probably like figured out a way or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Like maybe they just needed his entry into the system so they could hack it further or something. Yeah, like um, they had to, <laughs> he was the screen door to open so they get to like the big door. Yeah. Okay. Um, But something interesting happened when they had him... They were taking the, him with them during the day when they were on the beach. Mm-hmm. And he had something that he had to drug with him. Oh, no, that was that. That's not the beach scene. That was before, like when they were on the run the first time. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, so after the party, um, Junior hits Caleb with the drug called genre. And at the time when I saw it, I thought it was really cool. But after thinking about it and really playing, replaying in my head, it was kind of fucking lazy. Like, they could have really explored. That's what that. I was saying. Yeah. Because I was like, what the hell? They're just sitting there mm. listening to different kinds of music that you would hear in movies. Cool. Yeah. 
yeah so like so genre the drug called genre it takes you on these five stages of like film and at the beginning we get like a noir type film which all they really did is turn it black and white and give it like a 1940s soundtrack you know mm-hmm. um and then after that there's a while caleb dolores and junior are trying to get away uh Sirac's men are coming after them and it's funny because like uh what's his name uh what's the actor's name I keep forgetting his fucking name aaron paul you know he played jason Pink, um jesse pinkman in breaking bad mm-hmm. and at one point he became a drug addict and he played that role so fucking well especially like the drug addict arc yeah this one he was like he hit junior hit caleb with that genre drug and he was supposed to be high but all he kept doing was just like looking up and like wide eye like oh like that and i was just like yo dude come on man. you can because he better. doesn't know i don't think he knew how it was supposed to affect him mm. and probably whoever like the director or everyone he was with was like oh that's good enough yeah maybe it was like a little bit of poor direction yeah um part. so that's what i think he mm and the only time it really seemed to affect him was mm. when he was switching from one song to another yeah one song to the next yeah um and he was fully functional almost every other time in between yeah like where like when he needed to aim his weapon he was just firing away like without an issue or anything like that i did i did kind of like i i was kind of i was a little bothered but well i would say upset um that when the trailer for this episode really showed it as like oh this is gonna be like an action-packed episode this is gonna be like some high octane kind of shit right mm-hmm. this one not so much there was like a car chase scene that it looked really fucking slow yeah it did actually yeah and then he goes from that level to and i'm also tired of seeing the fucking chase scenes with those cars with the clear doors <laughs> yeah it's like are. every single episode they have like some kind of weird chase scene in a car with a clear door yeah yeah something like that okay so then he jumps into that's more of like a like a soldier war movie and he jumps and the song turns into ride of the valkyrie from apocalypse now which it, that was pretty cool because him and dolores are they're firing away at these goons and it's like he's in full it's like he turned into full like military mode yeah like firing away which i think the transition to the next one was actually kind of funny uh, the music changes into the love story theme song from the movie Love Story. When he looks at Dolores. I know. And finally. she's like being a badass and yeah. like firing her weapon. And like, and that's funny because they slowed it down and they must have practiced this because usually when someone's firing a weapon mm. in the movies, it's like really, uh, you can see their ugly face, I will call it. Oh, like they like never fired grunting it. or squinting or something. Like, like they've never fired a gun. So they're like, like yeah. Yeah. And she's like cool as a cucumber. Yeah. So it was like really cool to see that. And then it was almost like he was like in love with her. Yo, the way how, um, the way how Evan Rachel Wood looked in that scene, I was falling in love with her. Mm. I was like, oh, damn, look how you find that gun. Oh. <laughs> and there was like fire like to the side of her and within the shot. I was like, that's how you were <sighs> hoping someone would, you know, look at you when you were at the range. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, me and Jim Bob over there, we locked eyes while firing our Berettas, and that's how we knew we we're in love. <laughs> <sighs> well, and his had that camel paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so the two, they head down to the train station and they bump into, or they meet up with, um, what are the characters? Uh, Grace and Ash. And from there, they turn into, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I forgot the fucking act, the singer's name. Uh, Nightclubbing, the song Nightclubbing by uh, Iggy Pop, um, which is a reference to train spotting. And that's why I was I was really digging on it because that's when they started like really fucking with the lights and the colors. Mm-hmm. I thought I told you I thought it might have looked cooler if they did it naturally, like if they're really fucking with the lights. Yeah, I thought that might have looked cooler. I liked what they did. I just think they could have amped it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but also you kind of like that song because you like that movie. I love Train Spot. That's such a great fucking movie. I know mm-hmm. I showed it to you. Just like. I don't really like this too much. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. I don't think I, don't think I got it all the way. Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, that's why you should watch it again. No, again. It's, I haven't done enough drugs to like... To really get into the To boat. really understand that movie. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I've never Plus, done I didn't have... I really haven't had enough friends to understand that movie. Oh, okay. So we'll watch it like 30 times and we'll start... We'll, you'll really start getting it. Yeah. All right. Make a bunch of hobo friends too. So that, <laughs> you know... And then this is when, um, when they finally get out to the, when they're on the, the subway, this is when Dolores released the data. Now they get the data, um, they get access to the data from the other Dolores that's in McConnell's, um, no, Connell's body. And he's rolling with, uh, what's his name? Bernard. Mm-hmm. And he starts revealing more of Bernard's purpose, which I thought was really dope. Because he was, he pretty much told him, like, we need you for this plan. Like... Um, Bernard and Connell or Connell slash Dolores, they're talking about, um, like Connell like reveals them that she's going to release the data so everybody can see it. And this is like some hidden information that essentially would really, I think would really fuck up society. If you find out that you've been living in a simulation and your life has been mapped out without your consent. Mm-hmm. And, um, Bernard points out that like, so what's gonna happen when you guys are done? Like, like are you are all you like Dolores are gonna like live on or like what's what what's gonna happen? And Connell says like, well, we all have our purposes, but it's kind of it's. I think it opens the door of conflict between Dolores and Charlotte that has Dolores inside her as well because she seems more innocent and more like it's like a wild card. Yeah, like she wants to stick around, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Stubb shows up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Out of nowhere. That was okay. He did like a flying headbutt. Yeah, he like stepped out of like a room. That's this is what okay, so this is what bothers me. I hope it's not poor writing because Stubbs shows up out of nowhere. The location they're at, they're in Surak's building, which is like high security, mm-hmm. which Stubbs has kind of proven himself repeatedly not to be an effective agent or whatever. Yeah, he always gets somewhere by luck. Yeah, exactly, right? And he shows up to, like, rescue Bernard. So that kind of leads into the idea that maybe he might be the second mole that Surak had mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Stubbs was there when they took Maeve's Pearl out. So maybe Stubbs is the one who took Maeve's Pearl to give it to Surak. Maybe. And they kind of, like, do a little... Him and Connell kind of go, go toe-to-toe. And finally, like, Surak's people shows up. And um, I forgot the actual name, the one who played... Uh, Mantis and Guardians. She shows up with her men. Mm-hmm. And 
she's like, yo, Connell, we need, Sarek needs to talk to you. And then he tells Sarek, not Sarek, Connell tells Bernard and Stubbs, like, he says this really good thing that I liked. He says, he says, there, there's only one of you. We can't, we can't replace the only one of you, mm-hmm. which I wonder if it, it just opens up the idea. It opens up the question of like, well, what's Bernard's purpose? It's got to be like a huge purpose. I think it's interesting, too, that she can duplicate herself, but she can't duplicate Bernard. Because he was a hybrid. He's a hybrid of Bernard and Arnold. Like when he um, when she got the pearls, his pearl was gray and red while her pearls are black. Yeah. So maybe she couldn't duplicate that that type. Maybe. Um, and then Connell's talking to Serac, you know, Serac during the, the what's it called? The, the virtual reality or whatever, through a projection or whatever. And then Connell tells him, like, uh, well, Serac is like, hey, somebody like gave Dolores the data information, blah, 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 blah. How, who got this? Who's this mole? And Connell's like, it's me. And then boom, blows everybody up. And I was like, all right, that's the end of Connell. Yeah. And we're done. Um, and he knew he was going to die. Yeah, he made that sacrifice. Yeah. But I, I don't... I thought that was really interesting. How, and it almost seemed like Bernard was kind of like... It's weird because he, now he's like, okay, I'm not part of any plan. Because mm. I didn't consent to anything. Oh, but he's part of the plan. But he has no idea what the fuck he's doing yeah. now. He's like, what the hell? Yeah, he seems like he's kind of like running with his, uh, his head lopped off. And... Um, so Dolores releases the data, and we we get like a view of what the damage is doing, mm-hmm. like there's civil unrest occurring. I thought that was poorly shot because we kind of just see like a few people like throwing bricks at windows, people fighting. We see a motorcycle on fire, just meow, like driving. <laughs> that away. was hilarious. That was really funny. <laughs> so we got that, but like I like because she released the data on the entire world. I want to see how it affects everybody not everybody but give me more a glimpse of how society is now falling apart right so that was that was poorly done um and they end up on a beach because dolores and caleb are take are heading out somewhere and that's when junior liam Dency jr is pretty much like you guys took everything from me you know i'm worthless now all this kind of stuff um but he drops some knowledge on on Dolores and several of the other characters. Like, we created this machine to put you guys in line. Now you're just fucking up everything. Yeah, he's saying that the world was too chaotic and it needed something like this mm-hmm. so that people could be reformed, basically. Yeah. Um, and you kind of see what he's talking about, too, because the minute people get the knowledge of what their life was... Mm-hmm. And where it was headed, yeah, or what like it could have been mm-hmm. if not in, in if not interrupted by insight, right? Um, the piece is gone, and then you can kind of see like, okay, now everyone. They, he said, I think he said something. Now everyone's reverted back to their base selves. Yeah, that I I thought that was really good. Like, it it it, it begs a question. Like, if if your life is set for you. Like, is there any free will, and can can you have even the willpower to change that? Because mm-hmm. um, there are so many people that like go through life not knowing what the fuck to do with themselves. Like they're just like, I don't know my purpose, I don't know where I'm going to be, and they're just kind of just going through it. There are some who are blinded by this idea. They just think, well, you know, I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to get the nine to five until I hit retirement. 
go on vacations and such and such. Mm-hmm. There are more. There are others who tr- who try to change and just can't because mm-hmm. I don't know, circumstances or they can't get out of their own way. There was a guy I knew um, by the name Chris. The dude, um, him and I were writing partners at one point, and I will admit he was a gifted script writer. He had great stories, great dialogue. His shit was fucking funny. He was like. If he really took the opportunity, he could have made something of himself. He would have been in Hollywood writing scripts. The only thing that got got in his way was himself. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, I'm thinking like, I kind of thought of him while thinking about this. Like, if Insight was like, okay, let me just nudge you a little bit to the left and get you this path. Would he have made it? Or would it, or would the Insight would have been like, no, he's going to face addiction. So we're going to go ahead and go this way. Mm. So I'm thinking that it's a... Uh interesting because if you apply it to today's society mm. can you make a machine racist that's true because like i mean because like history has kind of really history has really gone has a lot of things in history has really oppressed minorities you know mm-hmm. governments have been built off the backs of african-americans latinos asians and stuff like that and people like that mm-hmm. And if you implement a system like that, would that system work in their favor to see their potential or would this, or would they just kind of keep the status quo going? Like these, you know, uh, African-Americans are put into like a community where they'll probably never get out because mm-hmm. all they know is like gang violence or low, eco- uh, low uh, economic value or whatever. And would, um, would this machine kind of keep that going, even though there are people who are constantly trying to get out of that society? Right. That's pretty dope. I like that idea. Well, I like to explore that idea. Unfortunately, like Westworld. Westworld well, yeah, won't do that. No. <laughs> Westworld won't do that. Uh, Watchmen would have. Oh, God, such a perfect show. Um, but while they're at the beach, we get into the fifth, the fifth, um, fifth genre, which is, I guess, horror? Because we get into, we hear the Shining theme song. Oh, Yeah. Which I was, I was digging it. Speaking of digging it, they actually, um, they did a variation of uh, Space Oddity, J- David Bowie's, one of his most well-known songs, which I thought was pretty so dope. So that's weird because it did more than five songs. It did do more than five, but you can't, I think, I think when they were hitting theme songs, like more familiar songs from um, certain films, like Ride of the Valkyrie, if you hear Ride of the Valkyrie, you all, if you've seen it, you automatically think of apocalypse now and then love theme song it's from the love story you know mm. it's it's there you know so is the shining you can't picture like no matter like like say it's like hearing the terminator mm-hmm. song if you hear it anywhere else you're just like boom that's terminator yeah so i think they were kind of just focused on that if you put space oddity that's a whole different thing on its own yeah without any music or movies and um dempsey jr gets gets murked he gets murked and caleb is trying to save him and um, K- Dempsey Jr. is looking at him like, it's your fault. It's your fault. He's like, like he knows something about Caleb that Caleb doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And I really hope they get into because I, I want to find out Caleb's stories. Stay, Caleb's story, like now. I want to know what the fuck is his background. You mean other than what you've already seen? Well, yeah. I mean, we've only get like shattered, shattered pieces of it. That like he was involved with maybe his friend's death, Francis, played by Kit Cuddy. He was involved with his death in some way. Um, it seems like maybe Caleb was in the military or he did some mercenary work. His mother says that you're not my son. 
So there's a whole thing of what's going on with like that. Like mental illness or something. It's either that or maybe she's not. Maybe he's actually not her son. Maybe he is a host. I've heard that theory. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way that little kid, uh, Charlotte Hill's son was like, I want my other mommy. Yeah. The kids always, the kids always know. <laughs> um, speaking of theories, I've heard there, there are actually two popular theories. One is called the mirror world theory. And the mirror world theory is that some of the scenarios that we see in the show aren't actually happening in reality. They are simulations in the machine that's like calculating it. Mm-hmm. That's possible, but from what I heard, like the Lisa Joy and Jonah, Jonathan Nolan, they're like, no, we're not going to do stuff like that. Because apparently, like, last season, that pissed off a lot of people. Yeah. And another theory is that um, Surak is actually a creation of the Roho Bohem. Did I say? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, you said it. Mark. You did. You said it, but you put the inflection on him. Him. Roho Bohem. Can you say hobo? Hobo. Rehobo? Rehobo. Um. Rehobo. Um. There you go. Oh, Reboho. Um, shit. Rehobo. Um. Hobo. Ro. Hum. No. Reboho. Um. Yeah. All right. Woo. Three points. The H is silent in ham. Oh, that's why. Okay. Rehobo. Um. Rehobo. Ham. I'm from, look, I'm from New England where they don't pronounce things how they're spelled. Mm. So, you know, you got places like Worcester or. What the fuck is that? Worcester. Worcester? Worcester. What's a Worcester? That's a town. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying it like that. A town. Worcester. Worcester. Or if you're from there, you call it Worcester. Worcester? Hey, so what's up, Mr. Worcester? That's what it sounds like. It's spelled W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R. Okay. Worcester? Worcester. Yeah. Worcester. Worcester. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to be you and me saying that back and forth and make sure I say and it And then correctly. there's Gloucester. Gloucester, okay. That's spelled G L O U C E S T E R. Jesus. <laughs> I, I'm I'm lost trying to spell that correctly. <laughs> oh, uh, like most people want to call it Gloucester. <laughs> I would probably call Gloucester. it. I probably would have called that if I saw that if I saw that street <laughs> or sign or whatever. Um. And um. So back to Westworld. Um. Oh, so what do you, what do you think? What do you think Dempsey Jr. was trying to get at when he was saying like, you know, you did this or it was you? Like he kind of knows something. I don't know. He's been such a whiny character. I honestly didn't really think about it. Who Dempsey Jr.? Yeah, okay. he's been a, a throwaway, yeah. easily manipulated. Mm. Um, he kind of wants to be a good guy, but he'll order someone to kill his girlfriend so he doesn't have to do it. Yeah. Um, like he's a fucking punk. Like, so he's going to sit yeah. there and complain the whole time. And then, you know, when it comes to the end, it just seems like he's saying whatever he can to, to fuck with them. Maybe? To, I don't know. Yeah. To fuck with them, to get mm. them not to kill him, whatever. Like, mm. I don't know. So I didn't really think too much about it because I think they already made this character such a throwaway that even I don't want to listen to him. That's true. He did say something in the beginning of the episode when Kayla was like confronting him saying your machine is you know sent me out to war and killed my friend and blah 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 and Dempsey Jr. looked at him like you think I killed your friend like he's almost saying like you think I killed your friend you're like no man it's you like he almost got a sense he's gonna maybe Caleb has something to really do with it or it could be something like again I'm I know I'm the one to bring up the race thing but yeah. like 
white people love to look at black people and say, it's your fault that you're in this situation. You could not have brought a gun with you. You mm. could have not worn a hoodie to the store mm. and all these things. I think that's more of a rich thing, though. Not not because he was saying it towards Caleb. I don't think he was. And if you're going that angle, I think it's more of a rich. Like, it's, that's my, what it's not my what, fault. That's what I'm saying. Like, okay. it's not exactly a race thing, but mm. it's like of the same. Like, it's the cousin to yeah, it. Yeah, the right? same caliber of it. Yeah. Just money is involved this time. Yeah. Like, you know, you could have tried harder. You could mm. have, you know, applied yourself or you didn't have to make that choice. Gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 yeah Even totally. though when you're in that situation, do you mm. think you would have done any better? Probably not. Probably. Um, Dolores is, um, Dolores kind of is given this hint that she knows a bit more about Caleb than Caleb knows about himself. Um, like the scene where they're in the hangar. Mm-hmm. They're in the airplane hangar, and it looks like they're flying off to somewhere. Which I've heard supposedly they're going to fly off to that facility that uh, Sirik's brother is at. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason why they think why why people have said that it's that facility is because um, William is at the facility, or the the facility he's at has the same name as the place that Sirik's brother is at. Oh, okay. So maybe William is there. Yeah. Um, so that's that. that Maybe William has something to do with what's going to happen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, Dolores is kind of given this hint that you're like a different person or you're different from everybody else. And Caleb says something like, I, 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 it, this really took me back. He says like, well, maybe I'm not like everyone else or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not so different. Oh, and when, yeah. when he said that and she looked at him, I got a sense that she was thinking of William when he said that. Oh yeah, and that's I, that, I. It seemed like that was the one thing that was really attracting uh, her to him. That like you're different. You're actually different from like the people who I would think you would be. Mm-hmm. So next episode, we are going to find out what the fuck is going on <laughs> with Caleb. Hopefully, um, but before it ends, we get that badass song by uh, Fisher Spooner, which is called. It's called Emerge. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. And you were really digging that song. I like that song. Yeah, that song is dope. I remember hearing that in high school. I didn't. I was not exposed to anything cool. <sighs> Cause you suck. Default was like the thing that I liked. Default. What the fuck is that? Like rock music, but it's kind of uh, soft. Ew. Soft rock? Not soft rock like oldies, but like. Is soft rock oldies? Like Nickelback type <sighs> stuff. Oh, yeah, you live in an area where, like, that's common. Like, that and Three Doors Down mm-hmm. and... Yeah. No, I was going to say a Perfect Circle, but they're actually good. Yeah. Uh, Breaking Benjamin. Ugh. Atreyu. Ugh. Ew. <laughs> ew. That's all that's that's I'm hearing, just ew, giant ew. But, yeah, it was it was actually dope hearing a uh, Fisher, Fisher Spooner song on this episode mm. in the merge. Um but yeah, I it was a it was an all right episode. I like nothing. There was nothing super amazing about it. Mm-hmm. I wish they would have drawn out the story between the brothers more because it seemed really mm-hmm. interesting. Oh, between Sarek and his brothers. Mm-hmm. That like yeah. if they could have drugged that out for like Maybe two like, three episodes. I thought that would have been that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, to see where where they ended up after the bomb exploded when they were kids and like or what led up to the bomb exploding could have yeah. been more explore of that world. Maybe I think they might go back to it. Yeah, maybe. This this funny thing is like this episode is really showing me that like 
episode, not episode, season one and season two were like really deep theological thoughts on what is your purpose and can you stray away from what you, from what you're accustomed to or do you fit a certain mold? You know, like, mm-hmm. do you fit in a, like, are you in assimilation? Can you change as a, as a person? Or like, at what point do you become a different person? Mm-hmm. And season one and two, we're like really exploring that idea. This one's not real. It, I don't know. It's, it's make it like on the surface it just look this this season just looks pretty or they're trying to make it look really cool without and like kind of putting like that type of thought into the wayside they are and i think they're just balanced like they're basing the whole premise of this season off the idea that you know the characters already mm. so that base is already there and they don't want that to get old mm. so they have to move on they just haven't gotten anywhere yet yeah, I mean, they could have opened up another question, or they could have explored more of. I mean, I guess they are kind of explore more of like living in simulation, but it's like it's almost like they have nothing else to say about it. Yeah. So it's like I said, it's a. It, it was an all right episode, but it just it showed me that like this season is, just, it's just more on a surface. Like I, I can picture myself revisiting season one and two, mm-hmm. and seeing the things sprinkled throughout the season to figure out like the the clues that they left. This one, not so much. I'm just like, okay, well, let's get to the next one. Yeah. I mean, there are some cool parts like that big, the big shocking ending, um, twist in last week's episode. But um, I don't know. After that, it's just kind of like, all right, we had that twist answered. So where are we going with now? Yeah. Anyway, so anything else? Um. Oh, there was no Maeve. Oh, yeah, no Maeve. We want Maeve back. I yeah. miss Maeve already. <laughs> she, she's supposedly gonna show up in the next episode but i don't know she's she, i'm feeling she's kind of like the lifeblood of this season i think so too she's gonna add something yeah um and it's gonna be again between dolores bernard and Maeve. Maeve. yeah all right yeah that's about it right that's it for that our geriatric cinematic 1987's RoboCop. We've got a volunteer. The body is on the way. Sure. All Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. And roll. As you know, we've entered into a contract with the city to run local law enforcement. We were able to save the left arm. What? I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis. Now lose the arm, okay? We get the best of both worlds. Onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. Hey, Lewis, it's Supercop. This guy is really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. What are they gonna do, replace us? Murphy, it's you. Go get him, boy. Thank you. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. 
Anything you say may be used against you. You better back up, pal! Your move, creep. The future of law enforcement. Robocop. Thank you for your cooperation. The IMDb synopsis for that is... In a dystopic and crime-ridden Detroit, a terminally terminally wounded cop returns to the force as a powerful cyborg haunted by submerged memories. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love this movie. Yeah. I loved it as a child. Still love it as an adult. I'm so happy to show you this movie. <laughs> the funny thing is, I'd watched it as a kid, but for whatever reason, the only thing that really stuck in my mind mm. was were two things. Okay. Two or three things. It was um, the, his flashback when he got to his old house mm-hmm. of his, his wife and life, yeah. son. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't remember in what context that was, so I didn't know if that was real. I didn't know. I didn't realize it was a flashback. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was real. Okay. Um, the big machine. Oh, the Ed 209? Mm-hmm. Okay. That thing. Um, and then what else? Oh, him with his uh, face shield off. Yeah, you know what? Those are the only things that I remember as from a kid. That that part where they showed his face after he took the helmet off, my apparently really stuck with my daughter. Oh, yeah? Because the next day we were... She, we were talking about RoboCop, and um, my daughter had never seen this movie, and I, I saw this when I was like, I don't know, eight or nine or ten or something like that, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna let my daughter watch this because this is like a, a ridiculous movie, and she had said something like, "Daddy, why do they have to show him without the, without his helmet on? It looked weird." Yeah, I was like, I "Sweetie, that. it's supposed to look weird. Like his skin has been attached to like." Is metal and stuff yeah and i told her i was like they couldn't do it like through special effects so they had to do it to look like that and it it looks fucking awesome she was like yeah it just looks so gross i'm like yeah i think that's what they were going for yeah that wasn't the next day she said that during the movie no she brought it up again the next like the next day oh like she was really like i don't think Bo- she was, maybe bothered by she it? was really bothered by because she was just like oh my god like what the hell even though, even though that's not the most disgusting thing. You should not show her Hellraiser then. Oh, no. I'm, oh. <laughs> no. I know I saw that as a kid about her age. Hellraiser? Or, Are you serious? Or younger than her, actually. What the hell's wrong with your parents? They had me watching Freddy, all kinds of shit. When that's I, your then, mother, right? Yeah. Her, and her, I think she married a nerd. Because uh, he was like way into X Men. He used okay. to get the paint, the paint that would stay on top of the clothes. Okay. And he was really good at it. He would make like the X Men like on shirts and sell them and shit. He would do like um, burning like different things into like you know the wood blocks. Oh, like could... like the fire fire art or whatever. Yeah. Into... Oh, okay, that's cool. He, and he would do all that kind of stuff. Why is um, that a cool guy? He liked Star Trek. My mom doesn't like Star Trek. All kinds of stuff. He was an asshole, but mm. he loved all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so that's why I ended up watching all that kind of shit. Really? And then I would be, I was afraid of the dark until I was like nine years old. I would always use a bathroom in the middle of the night and then run to bed. I and think, I felt like I that's kind to of that too old to be afraid of the dark. Yeah. And like, they would always tell me like, you're such a baby. Why do you like. Like run up the stairs when you turn off the light. 
So like stuff like that? No, they, I would come down like, I can't sleep. I'm scared. Mm. And they're like, it's not real. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Okay. But like, and I, to this day, I kind of feel like that's one of the reasons why I have a hard time with sleeping sometimes. Oh, because it's kind of like. It's kind of been in bed inside you of like darkness. Yeah, yeah. Like I would always see shapes oh, at okay. night and yeah. everything. Like my mind was way too active then. I'm not gonna lie, that still kind of affects me. Um, where I sleep now, the room I sleep in is like total darkness, and mm-hmm. that weirds me out because I normally wherever I would sleep, I would have um, some light. Mm-hmm. Like from outside, like the moonlight or stars or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like total darkness in my room, so I actually have to kind of like. Maybe we'll a nightlight. Yeah, I have a nightlight, but it's cute. It's a it's a cool nightlight. <laughs> you know, it has like it's a transformer nightlight. It's so cool. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> All right, so RoboCop. Um, I'll start off by asking Kelsey, what did you what did you think about this movie? I thought it was good. Um, you could tell that it was directed by Paul Verhoeven. Oh, this is totally his style. Um, and it makes me think of Star Star blah blah blah. Star movie Star blah blah blah. Um, because in that one they're doing the propaganda, the war mm. propaganda. Yeah. And in this one they keep doing outtakes for like, like ads, just like ads. Yeah, it's, it's uh, satirical ads. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I love how the 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 new model the X the six hundred SUX which mm-hmm. spell sucks. Yeah. Because <laughs> it sucks so much gas. <laughs> that is so great. Yeah, this movie is a straight up satirical. A lot of people a lot of, a lot of the jokes really kind of fly over mm-hmm. um their head on when they watch Robocop. Um but it's really interesting because like if you think about it, the, the Robocop himself, he is the epitome he's the embodiment of law, you know. You know how they say, like, the boy's in blue? Mm -hmm. And in certain lighting, he looks literally blue. Yeah. You know, he's the end-all, be-all, badass cop and all that kind of stuff who's, like, unstoppable. Right. Um, So uh, I I, want to jump into this part of why it's called Hello, Jesus, Um, Are You There? Um, A lot of uh, the film, I don't know if Paul Van Hoel has said this himself or this is just a dissection of the film, but a lot of people have compared this movie to, like, The Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which, in a certain number of scenes, it makes sense. Like, for example, he gets his hand blown off. Uh, it's like he's being, um, that's his first, like, wound when he's, like, nailed to the cross, where he will be re- resurrected. Mm-hmm. Even the metal helmet he wears, it's kind of like the crown of thorns. Um, and at one point, like I said, he is, he is brought back to life, and he's supposed to save the people. He's supposed to save humanity. Mm-hmm. And that's when people, that's when Jesus really started fucking shit up, <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> there's even a, um, there's a scene where he like literally walks on water. And it looks like, well, it's probably like one inch water, mm-hmm. but it looks like he's walking on water like Jesus. Yeah. And that shot is like, kind of like a wide angle shot. You can see his feet moving and everything. And yeah. I think that was done on purpose because it looks, it's like a Jesus allegory. And at one point, he gets a spear in the chest. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's Jesus got speared in the chest. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about Jesus, to be honest. Oh. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's the story of Jesus. I didn't even know. I knew he was up on the cross. <laughs> I didn't know he got a spear to the chest. Yeah, at one point, it's it's to the, uh, maybe it's like into the ribs or something like that. But yeah, he gets a spear like in the in his, in his upper abdomen area. Mm. And um, I'm trying to think what else kind of Jesus... 
I don't know. Maybe like, maybe like the shots he's he gets blasted with. It's like the if you play, it's the first day of Christmas song when, he, <laughs> when he's firing the guns. It's the first day. Oh my god. Okay. I'm just, all right. That's enough of that stupid stuff. Anyway. <laughs> um. Since Kelsey doesn't, is not familiar with, too familiar with film. Um, yeah, I I'm a get heathen. To, are you a heathen? I'm a heathen. Well, Robocop will save you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you? I want to see. Want to get your opinion on the on the effects of how it looked. I like the effects, even the stop motion animation of the Ed Two Hundred Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked that. Did was there something I was supposed to say? What about the special effects? No, I remember you wrote something down for me to remember. Oh, I can't remember now. I wrote all these notes down. I can't fucking remember. Oh, now I remember. I think we said. <laughs> I think he said Trump is Ed Two Hundred Nine. That's. I think that's what it was. Did I say that? Yeah, you're like yeah. Ed Two Hundred Nine is Trump, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Why did I say that? I don't remember. Okay, because. Oh, this is why. This is why. Now I remember. Now I remember. Okay, so Ed 29 is this big, hulking, dumbass machine. That can't even use the fucking stairs. That can't even use the fucking stairs. And he's pushed forward to dispense justice and to bring law to the land by old, rich white men mm-hmm. <laughs> like Mitch McConnell. <laughs> okay. You can't walk down the stairs. He just leaves death and destruction wherever he goes. And Barack Obama's RoboCop. <laughs> uh, what else? And even like Ed 209 sounds stupid. Like his voice is like, you know, you're illegally parked, <laughs> which is like ear splitting. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump's voice is very ear splitting. It is. And what else? Maybe the top, the top part of the Ed 209, like the black part. Could be <laughs> his like. Bad hair? Yeah. It's like really obviously bad style and everything. Yeah. So yeah, Ed 209 is an allegory for Donald Trump. <laughs> fucking Paul Van Hoven fucking thinking four steps ahead. I know. <laughs> um, one other thing I remember about this movie from a kid is the guy's lips. Which, oh, Paul, uh, Peter Weller's lips? Yeah. Them big juicy lips? Yeah, that, for whatever reason, that stuck in my mind since I was a kid. Hmm. Um... I like the animation of the movie, um, animation, the effects and everything, mm. um, because I like the stop motion animation, even though it looks kind of cheesy or whatever. It's it's dated, but it's, it still works. It works, and uh, like I like it. And it's like one of those things that if you didn't grow up with it, maybe you don't love it as much, but I do, mm. because they use the same animation in Beetlejuice, and that movie would not be what it is without that. Oh, with that stop motion animation? Yeah. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Um, so I like that. Um, you were saying that this was the X-rated one and it was really bloody, but I don't think it was as bloody compared to other things that came out around the same time. Mm, Okay. So. I think, I, I believe this is, I, you, you guys have, if you guys haven't caught it yet, it's on HBO Go and it doesn't really say it's the X-rated version. Um, I'm just remembering from what I read what the X-rated version holds. And, for example, like, you see the hand being blown the fuck off. Like, mm-hmm. it just looks like a hand and then blood splatter. Yeah. And then you see the bullet make contact um, 
when Claire's Bodigan shoots um, Peter Weller or Murphy in the head, you see like the bullet exit the brain, and mm-hmm. it's like boom, boom. It's like kind of it's really jarring. Mm-hmm. So I think that's and then when they're shooting him, when they're shooting him down in the warehouse, I think it's like three seconds longer than it originally was. Um, I think that the when they're towards the end of the movie and they're mm-hmm. in that yard, that industrial yard that mm-hmm. I said kind of looked like the Running Man. Yeah, it looks it looks like the warehouse from the Running Man. Yeah, um, the one guy gets like acid or something on him. Yeah, that was funny. That was funny back then. He looked hilarious. He was like, "Help me!" It was so. It, it's it, one. It's done really well. Yeah, like it looks amazing. But two, it's still fucking hilarious, especially when he um gets splattered on the car. Yeah. And my daughter burst out laughing looking at that. I'm like, that should trauma because I remember, I remember that traumatizing me. I was like, oh my god. And now she'll be like, Dad, you're old. <laughs> yeah, come on, Dad, be a man. <laughs> it just looks like watermelon juice. <laughs> um, one thing that was really good to revisit is how clever they introduced RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, oh, I think any other director would just show RoboCop from the jump, like, boom, RoboCop, there he is, all that kind of stuff. But it's cool because they. They do a lot of they do a, a bunch of POV, POV of RoboCop, mm-hmm. but they're doing it through his steps, like when um, before surgery, like when he's on the operating table. Yeah, and he's like he's um, he's dying. He's like reliving those memories mm-hmm. of his family. That part is I think the part that that part is really fucked up. Where um, as he's getting closer towards death, the camera sees his family at the house. Like the camera has his family in front of the house, and mm-hmm. it's just like does it extreme pan out, like almost like. There's a car taking him away, mm-hmm. and how it waves like she's waving like bye to him. Yeah, and it's like oh shit, like this is the moment where like he's going to the afterlife, which is yeah. really fucked up. Uh, I think it's fucked up that they show the entire scene where the guy's like, oh, he has a good arm, take it anyway. <laughs> yeah, like we he doesn't need that arm. We have superior technology. Yeah, you know because basically I am God. Yeah, yeah, and God created Jesus. There you, you're getting it. There you go. You're getting it. So he's like, I can do better than God. Yeah, so let me too. take his fucking arm away and replace it, even though his arm was saved. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, if, if you're a cyborg, I mean, do you really want an exposed flesh other than his face, which they never seem to shoot? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want someone to take my arm away. Yeah, but you don't have a say because you signed away your life. Apparently, that's what Peter Weller, that's, that's what Murphy did. He signed his life away when he joined OCP, which is really, that in itself is it really messed up. And I find it hard to believe up. that he's the only one that they chose for this program. Well, um, what's his name? Uh, Miguel Ferrara's character, um, what was his name? Morton. Um, Bob Morton. Um, he had told uh, his boss, like, hey, we went through all this data and all this file, and we found we have a, the perfect candidate for the RoboCop program. Mm-hmm. Uh, mind you, they do explore that in the second one because they essentially want to make another RoboCop because this RoboCop is such a success. Yeah. So they do kind of explore that and go through the ramifications of what it's like to create a second RoboCop that's not as a person who's not as dedicated dedicated as Murphy. Right. So um, back to like. The way how I think it was pretty clever when they were introducing this RoboCop is like through a series of POV, uh, POVs, we're getting through the steps of him becoming RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then even when we get away from the POV, you never get a good shot of him. You see him through like uh, like the water stained glass windows or whatever. Mm-hmm. Jesus. <laughs> um, and then when the first time anybody gets a good look at him, they see him. They see that gun. Oh, yeah. And that's supposed to like, to me, that represents like, this is fucking lethal force. Yeah. Like, this is what we've gotten to now. We have to have this incredibly crazy fucking gun mm. you know and have all that power that there's even a lady that says something like he's not a man he's a machine which is like yeah he's robocop <laughs> um i've always thought that scene where he twirls the gun with his finger i've always thought that's just fucking cool yeah like i don't think i've ever seen it in another i probably have seen it in another movie but never as cool as that in all the westerns duh that's why they have the play the western music which I thought was funny. Wait, the Western? Oh, that's right. Yeah, they did play some Western-esque music. Yeah, like at the very end, that's what they closed it with. And I think in the beginning, they opened with it, too. Yeah, when you told me when he's riding in his car, it's like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. That, that is like a very 80s-style, like, keyboard Western-esque yeah. kind of... Yeah, I totally get that. That's dope. That's actually really dope. Um, All right, so I want to... <laughs> I want to drop some facts on on you about what happened with uh, the behind the scenes of RoboCop. Um, so Peter Weller had actually been had been studying a mime, had been studying like how to move like a mime mm-hmm. to, to replicate like a robotic use, right? Yeah. But what happened was that um, the IMDb trivia says that Peter Weller could not fit properly into the police cars; he was too bulky. And so that's why most shots of him exiting the car or getting in, it's not like a full shot. So for shots where he actually needed to get in the car, he only had the top half on. Okay. Um, and another portion was another fact about the cop, about the suit, um, was the fact that it was hot and super fucking heavy. Mm-hmm. And he would lose, Peter, Weller, Peter Weller, Weller would lose three pounds a day. Oh, wow. In the suit. And they had to, like, rethink their idea and put an air conditioning system (laughs) inside the suit. Jesus Christ. That sounds dangerous. It was. It was. Uh, I'm trying to see what else. What was it? It's a hostage situation. Oh, um, so didn't you tell me, too, that um, he actually, didn't he say he didn't really like wearing it? Or was it, like, an issue? Because I know that. It's really cool how he moves in it and everything. And you said that he was, he was like, it was hard for him to get into the car and everything. But you never really get a sense that it was that hard for him. Okay, now I'm, here it is. Okay, it says, when the RoboCops arrived, Peter Weller discovered that his movements had become very restrictive in the suit as Paul Farnham began showing raw footage. Um, so they envisioned the suit to move kind of like a snake. Oh, which I was, that's I was weird. like, yeah, I know, right? Um, so to kind of combat this, um, so Moni, Moni, Ken, Moni Yakim, who I believe is this suit designer. Um, yeah, I believe he's like the suit designer for RoboCop. So what they decided to do to kind of like work with it is that um, they, um, they, they said the best idea was for him to slow down his movements. Um, mm-hmm. To really like emphasize him walking so it wouldn't be like jittery or jaunty or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the production actually halted for three days while uh, Verhoeven, uh, Moni Yakim, and Peter Weller had to discuss this new approach. He said tempers flew and the arguments started over the decision. But in the end, 
Uh, Verhoeven thought Willard deserved the right to express his opinions and go forth with this decision. Verhoeven was very happy with the end results. So what was his decision? Uh, to move to move the character slow. Okay. Like yeah. I, I, from my understanding, Verhoeven wanted to move snake light, snake light. He didn't. Yeah, and he didn't have to move weird or anything. Just slow because you wouldn't expect him to be agile. Oh, he's yeah. huge. Yeah, there is one point where like you, the the only time you really see him move fast enough is when he dodges that that van that's coming towards him. Mm-hmm. He kind of like hops and skips out of the way and then walks normally, like. Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> Which kind of lends the idea to the fact that no matter what you do or where you are or Mm. where you run, if he's not in a hurry to come find you, that's scary because you know he's going to find you then because he's not worried about where the Mm. fuck did you get off to. Yeah. Yeah. He'll he's like um, he's like Jason or or Michael Myers. Like they move slow, but they will find your ass. Yeah. Um, A bit of funny fact is um, so the hands were like foam rubber. Uh-huh. And remember the scene where like he th- they the keys were thrown at him and he caught him mm-hmm. and it looked so cool he was like boom thank you and kept walking. Apparently there was fifty takes of that and it <laughs> took a whole day. That kind of reminds me of what we did today. <laughs> yeah, we made like we made like a little like funny footage for Kelsey's work and the first portion, which was mainly Kelsey kind of like moving a bit, that took us like half most of the time. It took, to yeah, like, it took me like an hour. Yeah, just to like do a simple thing is move a key up and answer your phone. <laughs> now you got to get the rhythm right, which is you got it. You you got it. I'm so proud of you. You're, you're like you're working smooth on that shit. Thanks. Um, and the suit, uh, it's it's the range, the price range varies, but the suit is known to have cost five hundred thousand to one million dollars. Jesus. Yeah, I know, right? Um, what do you know? What happened with the suit? Did they send it to like charity auction? That has to be like in a museum. That has to be in some type of museum. Hmm. We need, <laughs> I'm just sitting here like, where would I find that out? <laughs> IMDb. Um, I remember one thing One thing we noticed about RoboCop. Because I, I, I looked at my notes, and it's the part with you said about Peter Whirley's lips. His big, juicy lips. Yeah. Okay. What was the look in Zoolander? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to tell the story? <laughs> he made this face, and I was like... That's where they get blue steel from. <laughs> and he's blue steel. He's blue steel. <laughs> and then when he looks the he looks left, he's Magnum or something like that. Yeah. And his gun is about as big as a fucking Magnum. Yeah. I, I swear to God, that's where he got it from. Like uh, where Ben Stiller got it from because it totally looks like to him. He had to get it from there. Um. So the movie. Um. Let me see. So it's it's rumored that Rutger Hauer was a considered was considered for the role. Uh, another character that they actually wanted to play RoboCop was Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he was too big. He was like too built, too bulky. I wouldn't have wanted him to play that no. though. And th- I think this is like going off the hype of like Terminator. Yeah. You know, it, which is funny because one of the trailers for RoboCop, one of the original trailers, is um, not the. It's not exactly the Terminator theme song, but it's a song that's f- very familiar uh, to the Terminator movie. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to like they were trying to go off of like the whole like cyborg and he's coming after you, but this is like a cop this time. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, um. Obviously, they, they did more RoboCop movies. They did Part One, RoboCop Two. Which isn't that, it's kind of bad. The only thing that really saves that movie is like the last fight scene. 
between mm-hmm. him and another RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's RoboCop 3, which I've only seen once, and it is a shit movie. Really? It is god-awful. You know one thing I really liked about this movie? Hmm. At the end, when everything's all coming apart because all the police have gone on strike. Yeah. When they pull that big-ass gun out of the, the car. Oh, yeah, that huge-ass thing. <laughs> and he brought sh- some for his friends, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, suck on that. Those were huge. Yeah. Oh, and that one, what was that thing he said about the character? He said, like, well, I'm glad they didn't get Eddie Murphy for that role. Oh, because he was laughing weird. Mm. Well, he he was always laughing, and he he sounded kind of, like, weird, but mm. not Eddie Murphy weird. So I was yeah. like, oh, Eddie Murphy would have made this, like, <laughs> I don't know. So um, there's a rumor that went around that um, when Paul Van Hoven got the script, he read the first few pages and threw the script in the trash. Really? Yeah. And it was it took his wife to who who read the script through. And he was like, no, you definitely need to make this movie. Yeah. You should make this movie. I can't picture anybody else making this. I mean, they've done a remake, which is kind of shit. But I couldn't picture anybody else doing this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were, I think, what's his name? Uh, Neil Blomkamp, the guy behind District uh, District 19, or District 9, sorry, the guy behind District 9 and Elysium. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been tapped to do, like, the official uh, Robocop sequel. Like, I think they're ignoring three mm-hmm. in, like, the TV series. That sounds familiar. What, what do you mean? Oh, Aliens. Aliens, Terminator. Oh my god. There have been several crossovers, however, in comic book form and in video game form. There was once a Terminator versus uh, Robocop video game. Mm-hmm. There has been a Robocop versus Terminator comic book mm-hmm. where Robocop uh, OCP is actually the start of Skynet. And there has been a Robocop versus Terminator versus Alien. Oh, wow. Book. And I've, I remember reading all three of them. The Terminator 1 versus Robocop was actually pretty fucked up. Really? Yeah. It involved John Connor actually dying. Aww. It was a really fucked up movie. Oh, I mean, sorry, a uh, comic book. Um, what was another? I think, that's, I, don't know, I think that's about it. I mean, there are a ton of, like, trivia on it, but we would have to spend a whole episode talking about it. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, on a side note, um, I was able to meet the writer of Robocop once during a Q&A with um, Chuck Polinick. It was so weird because he wasn't there to like conduct a Q&A or he wasn't like the moderator in it. It was Michael Miner. Um, he was there to actually give thanks to Chuck Polinick. Like here's, here's how I went. It was so fucking surreal. So, like, we're sitting in this room. Chuck Polinick is talking about his book, his writing, his method and everything. And I love Chuck, Chuck Polinick's work. It was just so great to be in the same room as that guy. And I don't know where this old dude stands up. He's like, yeah, hi, Chuck Polinick. My name is Michael, Michael Miner. Um, I'm a script writer. My most famous work is RoboCop. And everybody in the crowd was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and Chuck Polinick was like, oh, holy shit. Like, thank you for coming you know he wasn't even like taking he wasn't back. prepared for it he didn't like pay him to be there nothing no, like no it was like it was so fucking weird i was just like oh my god it's him you know <laughs> and um michael minor is one of the writers he's not the full full writer and when uh the thing was over i saw michael minor sitting there i think with like his wife 
And I was like, hi, Mr. Minor? And he's like, hi. And I was like, yo, my name is Marcelo Cito. And I've seen Robocop like a thousand times. And it's a great movie, man. I love your fucking work. It's, you know, and he's like, and I told him, I was like, yo, that movie taught me like to fear, fear the cops, fear cops and everything. And he looked at me. He was like, are you like half Indian? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm half black, man. But yeah, I mean, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and I shook his hand. I was just like. But yeah, it was just so it was just like so surreal to like talk to that guy for a few minutes. Yeah, it was a great time. Um, so I ha- I have to ask you. Oh, um, so you've watched um, what's it called? Um, that seventy show, right? I watched some of them. What did you think of Kurtwood Smith's character, the guy who plays Red in in that seventy show, who plays C- Clarice Bonigan? <laughs> Clarence Bonigan. Which one was that one? He was the the crazy oh, one with the yeah, glasses. Yeah. That was kind of weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, he does kind of, if you think about it, he plays the same character. Oh, in that 70s show? Yeah, because he's a dick. Yeah, like that's the PG version of this character. Yeah, like exactly. If, if Clarence Bonigan got out of the, the gangster life and settled down yeah, <laughs> with the family. Exactly. Um, oh. Like Ivan the Terrible. Oh, that doc- that that documentary you've been watching, yeah. the Devil Next Door. That apparently he was a gas chamber um, officer, or whatever, like he operator was- or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. Okay. And he settled down in Cleveland as an auto worker and retired. Oh, that's good. You know, <laughs> settled down with the family and everything. Um. Oh, one more thing before we we leave RoboCop. Um. I wanted to ask, what did you think of that that big ass fucking uh, gun scene? The, the gun battle in the drug in the in the drug warehouse and the oh god and the assembly line the cocaine assembly line <laughs> it was funny because weren't they just like throwing cocaine everywhere yeah like cocaine was just being like blah just thrown all over the place they, were, and they started throwing it before they even started shooting it was weird well yeah they had to like they wanted to throw that cocaine in the air everyone sniff it and get like hype and be like yeah let's kill it <laughs> yeah it was good I, I like that one. That's a great scene. I I always like to think of that scene whenever I, I'm just pissed off with somebody. I'm like, man, if you were just in a cocaine assembly line, I'd just take you out like Robocop. <laughs> um, so speaking of that scene, Peter Willis said one of his favorite memories of the, his film was was filming the drug bust sequence. While filming the sequence, Weller was listening to Peter Gabriel's song Red Rain on his Walkman inside the Robocop helmet as he exchanged gunfire with various <laughs> back. I don't know that song. You know, I think I'm going to put that at the end of this episode. <laughs> I'll put that at the end of this episode. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's it. We're going to jump away from Robocop. And, uh, oh, f- last question. Um, do you think it still holds up to this day? Yeah. It's a great film, isn't it? It's, no question. It is such a fun film. To watch. I would love, I would, we saw, Kelsey and I saw Starship Trooper in the theater with like-minded people during like the secret movie club. This is great people to, uh, to, to interact with and everything. I would love to watch this in a theater with a, with a group of people or like with a large group of people. Yeah. I think it'd be so much fucking fun. It would be. Yeah. And then throw cocaine in the air. I'd be like, yeah, let's watch this shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, that's going to be it for our show for this week. Yep. Um, you can find us on all the podcast catchers. um, Next week, we're going to do uh, 1989's Harlem Nights is our geriatric cinematic. Mm-hmm. You know, because I asked Mark, hey, let's do a comedy 
I want to watch an Eddie Murphy movie. And you're like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> uh, the topic next week is going to be three generations of comedy. Not that other thing that I wanted to say. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. Just say it. <laughs> what, was, what, what was the title? What were we going to call the topic? Uh, it was called Harlem Nights, Black Men Fights. <laughs> yeah, I'm so proud of myself. My. <laughs> My God. <laughs> All right. Um, so we want to thank everybody uh, tuning in. For putting show. up with my... <laughs> Your laughing fits? <laughs> no, putting up with my bad humor. That's mom jokes right there. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to bid you guys adieu. We hope everybody is staying safe out there and washing their damn hands because we got we to gotta stick together and social distancing is the best thing to do to fight this uh, coronavirus that's essentially put all our lives on hold. So with that, I'm going to leave with you some very powerful words from a Clarence Bonnekin. Boddicker? Boddicker, thank you. Clarence Boddicker, played by Kurt Wood Smith. And his most profound, thought-provoking words. Bitches leave. <laughs>